0: G'day everyone, Kate from the Narrate team here. This week as we continue in our series, Want It, Have It, Wish I Didn't, Adam unpacks a rather controversial topic, submission. Jumping back into Want It, Have It, Wish I Didn't, we've got this week and then next week we're going uh, to talk, talk about this, uh, the empty nest thing and something that I've kind of challenged myself to do research for my own purposes and I think it'll be helpful next week whether you're single or married or do have an empty nest. But this morning, I think maybe the best way to start is to get you thinking uh, about the most awkward things you've ever said, okay? Because you're from Narrate, so I know you're good at them, like you wouldn't like this place. Caleb and I were last, laughing last gathering because Sarah's like one of the smoothest people on the planet, and yet we even managed to make her feel awkward last gathering. So that just proves like we're an awkward bunch. So think about your awkwardness, and as you do so, I'm going to, I got to put these shoes on because there's this word picture, speaking of awkward, Um <laughs> so I really wanted to wish I would have got those socks with the suspenders you know like before they had elastic by the way I've got three pairs of these size 12 if you need some shoes when we're done so as I do this you, you need to be thinking about your awkward stories okay because I know you've got them $14.99 from Amazon in case you're jealous they smell like rubber they just reek I opened them in the bag and they're like what died in this bag so What I would like to do is create a visual for you that mostly involves making an idiot out of myself. This is how much I love you. And if we don't have church here... See, what I was thinking, too, with the fumes is even if the sermon isn't compelling, that you'll be stoned, so you'll leave happy. Good to go? No Instagram, please. (laughs) So, uh, speaking of awkward stories... This is going to have to go with me on this one for a little while. Um, and it'll be a little more awkward in a couple weeks, too, because we're going to have a goat and a high priest up here. But I digress. Uh, I was thinking about this myself. I see here several months ago, there's this guy that started hanging out here, a uh, young leader, bright guy, and we kind of hit it off and were connected on several levels. And um, c- can I just say this before I get further? I'm not racist. Okay, let's just establish that. Like Adam's not racist. Say that out loud Adam's not racist. Uh, I noticed early on in our friendship that he was. Dark-complected and had dark hair, which, you know, like, okay, so he's not German. And, and it's not like I'm, like, caught up in, like, what nationality is this guy? But you think about these things, right? And, and then we were having lunch, and he was telling me that uh, he was from Deer Lodge. And I don't know why I created this associi- association in my head, but for some reason, I associate Deer Lodge with Native Americans, Makes no sense, other than the fact that deer is in the name, but like, for whatever reason, like I've always assumed like that was a reservation community. And so we were having lunch at Taco Del Sol, and he said the word deer lodge again, and I said, so... Um, I, I can't remember how exactly... I, like How does one mention this? I'm not even sure how I pulled it off. It's so awkward. But I said, oh, so you're Native American. And he said, what, what do you mean I'm Native... Well, you're from deer lodge. He's like, what, is, what does Native American have to do with a deer lodge? And he's like, oh, it's lodge grass, lodge grass, lodge grass. Okay. <laughs> And then he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not Native American. I'm Korean. Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> when I crawled out from underneath the table, I just gave him brochures to all the other churches in town and told him to pick which one and let me know where he was going to start going. Uh, the, the other one was more recently, I was, I was hiking with a friend. We had the boys and the fish were running on the reds or whatever that's called. I, I just pretend to understand these things and just say yes to the opportunities. So we were hiking with the boys by Hauser Lake there and I don't know if we hiked for a mile or so. And you know when you come back, if you've ever hiked that trail from the dam, kind of down along the river there, and you kind of look down on it. When we were coming back, we were probably a quarter mile from the dam, and there's this trail that kind of shoots off the side, you know, like lots of them do. And we looked up ahead, and we were probably about 100 yards from that trail, and this couple popped out from that trail that we both knew, he and I both knew, the boys know. She's the daughter of some really good friends of ours. And uh, they, in hindsight, had one of those like, hi. Dang, was hoping not to see you here. Kind of awkward. You know those exchanges? And they had that, like, do we stay and talk? Do we not stay and talk? But, you know, if you you have little kids who look up to older people, you know, they're in their 20s. I mean, it was too late for them really to decide because in moments notice, the boys stormed the castle. Went, you know, running up to them. Hey, 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 hey. So we walked up to them. And and I knew, so here's some context. So it was her and her boyfriend. And the week before, we were standing in the lobby between gatherings after the eight thirty. And, and her parents were sharing with me and some other people standing there that that week, she was there too, by the way, but that that week, he, the boyfriend, had stopped by and asked their permission to ask her to marry him. That was the context. So, like, in my head, I go, oh, okay, and, you know, there's that awkward, like, how am I going to make conversation? I don't know what I'm going to do here. So when I got up to him, that was the information I used. And I just walked up to her and him, and I said, hey, so, congratulations. Yeah, you're all like, "Oh my gosh," you are an idiot, and and it got awkward fast, like really fast. He there he, he he became stiff as a board, and looked at us and said, "Congratulations for what?" And then it hit me like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I, he he doesn't know that I know, and I don't even know if he knows that she knows that he was there and oh yeah just because you have permission to ask her to marry you doesn't mean you've even asked her to marry you so for all I know I like I blew this giant surprise and suddenly the cat is out of the bag and I'm the village idiot and so like so I'm just like oh yeah I'm explaining all those facts and my friend Kyle he's just loving it I know he's just loving it like Adam's such an idiot but we're standing there awkwardly and when you're him you can bail me out right throw me a rope like hey I know this is awkward like I can kind of lessen the moment no rope just, just as awkward and. St- and at one point he said, "Like, I can't even remember all the things he said, but it was it was horribly awkward." And so finally, I, I just resolved. I think I said it like thirteen times. Well, just count me among the first pe- person to say congratulations, like, because I guess it's coming. Congratulations. Said, oh, by the way, she already knew that you asked too, so I didn't blow the surprise. And finally, uh, she pulled her hand out of her pocket, and she said, "Actually." congratulations is appropriate because he just asked me like three minutes ago down there next to the river. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they're shooting for like romantic moment, going to walk back to the truck. What they got was three little boys, oldest of whom is 10, chasing them back to the truck. (laughs) Will you coach my soccer team? (laughs) So, I'm guessing you're like me, you're good at these. I feel like I'm the master and like, I wasn't even homeschooled and I'm that good at that whole thing. just kidding. Just, homeschool jokes are the best. I love them. And I, I think highly of all you homeschool people. I hope you know that. I say all that and I do this. Uh, we'll come full circle. But here, here, here's my point Here is Because I want to create this kind of giant memory in your head. Because this morning we are going to look at what I'm convinced is among the most awkward texts in the entire Bible. I think if you were to stay up late and watch, watch network television and begin to watch how they stereotype and make fun of Christ-following people... This verse, this principle, this thing that the Bible talks about will be at the core of what they don't get and what they hate and what they make fun of. If David Letterman were to create a top ten list of like most awkward things that people in the Bible say, I don't think this would just make the list. I think it would be top two or three. In fact, if you're someone that was raised in church and it's been years and you can't believe you're sitting here again but you're with him or you're with her or you trust them and they invited you, I'll bet you this verse is at the very core of what you loathe about people like me. If you think of church as old-fashioned, out-of-touch, chauvinistic, controlling, if you look at your own church background and think like, oh, man, that was so dark, that was so ugly, I want nothing to do with this, guaranteed this culture will be right at the center of it. In fact, even if you're a Christ follower and you're you're a person of the text and you spend time in the text, we all have those places in the Bible that make us squirm, you know, the ones like, I don't want to read that, like the whole book of Revelation, right, like skipping that. Kirk Cameron didn't straighten me out on that one, so I'm just not (laughs) going to read that one anymore. I'll bet you this is one of them. Like, I'll bet you when you get here, you wish you wouldn't have got there. It's what uh, I heard Rob Bell say years ago that we all have verses that, that make us squirm and we ought to deal with them. Scott McKnight talks about blue parakeets and the idea is if a blue parakeet landed on your fence post, you'd be like, well, that's weird. I think this is one of those verses that even for those of you, maybe you've been around church for decades, you kind of go like, well, that's weird. And the reason we're talking about it isn't just so I could spray paint some shoes or tell some stories, but, th- but here's the tragedy of all that. I think in the midst of the awkward statement Paul is making is also the central principle of relationships in the New Testament. Like if you were to ask the the New Testament people, the the early church, even Jesus himself, like boil down what does it look like for Christ followers to be married, to be parents, to be in relationships, to be on a team, to be a boss, to be an employee. I just have no doubt they would boil it down to this principle and yet we miss it because it's so awkward. And so we're going to go there and when we first look at it, I'm going to ask you not to get up and leave, because the biggest thing I want to do is give some context to the craziness. Where we're going, and some of you are already like, okay, I already know where you're going. Like, it's, that, it's going to have that word that starts with an S and ends with a T, and it's kind of like a cuss word, but it's not a cuss word, but it should be a cuss word. You with me yet? It's that word, sus- submit, right? You can't even get yourself to say it. Here we go. Ready? Don't leave yet, ladies. Give me, give me a minute. Verse 522, wives, Paul says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Dun, dun, dun. And all the men went, yay. And all the women went, I hate you. If I could just kind of pause there. Because if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this, please, please hear this. I'll I'll repeat it so many times it's annoying, but please hear this. What's happening in this particular passage is Paul has made an observation that's led him to a principle. This isn't the principle. This is an illustration of the principle. Like, this isn't his aha moment. This is him going, well, this is how this applies to you if you're a parent. This is how this applies to you if you're a wife. This is how this applies to you if you're a husband. It's it's him working through the details of it. Because, see, the historical context of Paul's day was no different than your context. What was happening was the early church understood that the central theme of Jesus and his movement was love. They understand that that was the value. Like there was no second value. There was one value. It was love one another. In fact, they listened to Jesus and the Jews who had 613 commands in the Old Testament, thousands in the, in the spoken laws, they, they said to Jesus, hey, which ones matter? And he went, ah, just one. And they went, one? And he said, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And they went, hey, you don't know math. That's two. And he said, no, it's one. Because if you don't do one, you can't do the other. So what they were trying to reconcile is what you try to reconcile when you walk into your 11th grade English class. It's what you're trying to reconcile as you're engaged. It's what you try to reconcile as you're the boss at work. And the question was, what does it look like to take that, the cross and the grace of God and everything God has accomplished for me, what does it look like to incorporate that into my relationships? And what Paul's dealing with in this passage is what does it look like to incorporate it into my marriage, into my home? What would this look like? How would we do this? See, he knew what you know. And that is that the home wins. That Freud was right to a very large degree that what happens to us in in our homes shapes us uh, more than anything else. And not wanting, therefore, to be a movement of just religion where you gather on Sundays and say the right things, but being a movement where people are different types of employees and different types of spouses, the question Paul's asking is, how do we incorporate this into our everyday lives? And that leads him to an observation. But the observation's not 522, it's the verse before, and how we miss it so often, I just, it baffles me. Listen to what Paul says first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ. Does that sound chauvinistic? Does that sound like men wear the pants? Does that sound like, hey, there's this kind of gender power structure? No, see, Paul's going, okay, 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 what would it look like if we incorporated this into our bossdom and our husbanddom and our parentdom and our wife? Like, if we incorpor- What would it look like? Oh, I got it. We would submit to one another. And the key phrase is out of reverence for Christ. See, it's not because of how great of a spouse he is. It's not because of how amazing of a woman she is. That has nothing to do with it. It's out of reverence for Christ. In other words, the th- same thing that would cause you to walk back there to the sign-up sheet and go, yep, I'll get up at 8.30 on the 19th and I'll scatter Easter eggs for an hour and a half. The same thing that would cause you to drop a check in the offering bag. The same thing that would cause you to stand and sing. Paul's going, when you, when, you, when you get to that place where you're wondering, Lord, how do I express my gratitude? Well, here's how you do it, he says. When you're talking about relationships, it's called mutual submission. And then you in your own time, go back and read Ephesians 5. What you see is he goes, okay, so here's what this looks like for wives. Here's what this looks like for husbands, which by the way, he tells husbands to die. Here's what this looks like for, for children. Here's what it looks like for parents. Here's what it looks like for slaves. Here's what it looks like for masters. But what you'll see is all he's really trying to do is avoid redundancy. He's not saying it looks different so much as he's saying everybody should submit to everybody else and it'll be this equation that doesn't work on paper, but it'll lead to transformation. That's the tension. That, that's the observation. It's what ought to be, according to Paul, the, the, the hallmark of Christian relationship, what, what Andy Stanley calls the north star of relationships. I've, I've been studying uh, um, nutrition, like eating and sleeping, things like that. Uh, I'm actually excited. I think it's going to flesh out into a message uh, in June. But one of the terms that I've been really spending a lot of time with is this term uh, anchoring. Anchoring. It's something behavior psychologists use to explain why people do what they do and don't do what they do. Uh, And and the image is, I think, brilliant, because if you've ever been in a boat and you've dropped an anchor, you kind of get the picture, like, okay, you're kind of there. You might drift a little bit from there, but you're kind of there. What they're talking about with anchoring is it explains so much with regard to human behavior, like your home is an anchoring thing, and the environment you experience at home is an anchoring thing. It also applies to sales, Like, like the psychology of salesmanship, for better and for worse is that if you're told it's $100, bucks, you are thinking about its value is anchored there. And so when they hear 80 boom, suddenly it's all relative, right? It's anchoring. It applies to nutrition. Did you know uh, that, that the average person, they say they've conducted studies after studies after studies, that you tend to eat 50% more of whatever you eat first when you sit down to, for a meal? So if you sit down to a meal and you've got a steak and you've got vegetables and you've got uh, uh, a bun and you've got mashed potatoes and some broccoli. Uh, What they're saying is the thing you eat first, you'll eat 50% more of that thing, starch, protein, vegetables, whichever one it is, than anything else over the course of the meal. And so one of the cheap nutrition tricks that they're beginning to to teach is just eat your broccoli first, and you'll be amazed at how many more vegetables you eat. It also applies when you eat out, Um, and you've probably seen this play itself out as soon as I talk about it, and they say the more people in the group, the more this is true, but the first person to order Anchors what everybody else orders. So, like, if you're out to eat and you're like, I really want to eat healthy, what they say you want to do is order first, because if the first person orders a hamburger, then when you showed up and you're going, I should have a salad, but man, the chicken strips look good. If the first person first person orders the hamburger, you're, you're going chicken strips. But if the first person goes salad, you're going salad. It's anchoring. Uh, and, and here's a trivial one. Ever wonder why McDonald's has salads? And you're like, who who gets a salad at McDonald's? Nobody. Here's what they understand. It's an anchoring thing. What they know is that if, if there's not a salad on the menu, you have enough self-control to not go there. They've studied this. But if it's on the menu, then, then you'll justify going there. And then once you get in the drive-thru, what they know statistically is you lose the self-control because you're anchored on. You don't, when you are in the drive-thru, you don't think salad. You think hamburger. It's all, isn't that weird? Crazy? Okay, point is simply this. What Paul's saying is drop anchor on mutual submission. That's what this looks like in the context of relationship. That's what God has for you. Listen to what, the way he says it in Galatians. I, I just love, it's kind of like if you buy a silver Ford truck, pretty soon everything you see is a silver Ford truck. Same idea, like the more you study this, the more you see it everywhere in the text. Watch this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Love that verse, right? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. How do you use it? Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbors yourself. In 6.2, he says it this way, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the question. I see the blood sugar's getting low, we're getting a little past noon, so here, here's the question, and here's the win for me this morning, is that you would take this question and pick one relationship and just ask this question once a day for a week. Ready? Because I think this question, didn't originate with me, but I, I think it brilliantly unpacks and, and kind of unfolds everything, all the power of this principle. Here it is, ready? What can I do to help? Go ahead, put that up there. What can I do to help? Just once, just once, once a day. If you're married, what would happen if just once a day you went, hey, hey what, what, what can I do to help? Like, if, if you're a student, you don't have to pay me for this, but I just gave you gold, because here's what's going to happen. Your, your, your mom comes home from school, or your mom comes home from work, or you come home from school, and you look at her, and you go, hey, mom, what can I do to help? It's a win-win, because she's going to be in such shock <laughs> that you can just leave Because it's going to take like an hour for her to recover from that. So you can go to your room and you can play video games, you can listen to music, whatever you want to do, and you'll still get credit for asking the question, but she'll be too surprised to actually have come up with anything for you to actually have done. Or if you're a parent... I don't know about you, my parenting cycle is this. I wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be a good parent today. I go to bed thinking, I am a lousy parent. I wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to be a lousy parent today. I go to bed thinking, I am the worst parent in the world. I wake up, it's like, that's what drives my quiet times, is my confession to God about how terrible of a parent I am. I'm serious. And those of you that are laughing, that means your parents. It's like, it's a broken gig. You can't win. Why? Well, there's so much to teach your kids, right? Get that out of your ear. Stop punching him. Brush your teeth. Don't drive so fast. Get a job. Like, there's so much stuff. And it creates a culture of telling, right? And what causes you in the morning to go, Lord, I want to be a parent—is a better parent is you want to engage. So what if just once a day you asked your kid, three years old or 13, hey, what can I do to help? And what would that do for just a five-minute conversation? How would that change the culture? Listen, if you're, if you're married... And this isn't part of the relationship. You already know it, and it's why you're miserable. Just absolutely convinced that this is at the core of everything. And I think part of what this exposes is every relationship has a controller. Can we just agree? Everyone has a Type A. Everyone has the one that picks the restaurants and picks the activities. And I already see spouses looking at spouses and laughing, ha ha ha. Like mine is my wife. It's, I just kind of she's the controller. I go along with what she says. That was a joke. Two things here. You've got to know who you are. Because if you're the controller and you have no idea that you wear that hat, then you have no idea how overbearing you can be. And I sit across from marriages all the time where one spouse is so overbearing and I just want to hug the other spouse because you can see how they're like a little puppy dog beat all the time. And it's not that the other person's ever going to not be the controller. It's that if the controller doesn't know they're the controller, they don't know how to lean back from it. I think what Paul is saying here, especially to those of us controllers and I am among you, is, hey, listen, sometimes you got to put down your agenda. Sometimes you got to back away from that. Sometimes what makes you a successful business person is different, supposedly, than what makes you a successful spouse. And ask the question. So here we go. We're going to practice. Ready? You can all say it together. What can I do to help? Try that, ready? What can I do to help? One more time. What can I do to help? Yeah. Now, where's the danger? The danger is, especially if you're a student, you're going, dude, I ain't asking that question. Because I'll be raking dog poop until I'm 60. Like, ain't happening, right? Like, no way. If you if you're a spouse, you're going, no, no way, because my wife brings home those boxed furniture things from Target and I have to figure them out and there's parts missing all the time. I'm not doing it. Like it's it's torture. Here's the good news. See what Jesus did was he said, "Hey Father, what can I do to help?" And the Father said, "Ah, uh, "No, seriously, like what can I do to help? Well, well, you could step through the veil, you could put skin on, but you'll need to be second, and in fact, you'll need to die." See, the good news is 99.999% of the time, you're not going to die. Might cost you some hobbies. You might eat food you might not prefer. You might be a part of activities that you wouldn't prefer to be a part of. Uh, there, there's lots of things that might happen. But you're not going to die. And the other part of the pushback, and listen, I'm first in line with this pushback. That is like, wait, wait wait, wait, a minute. Is this this kind of communist socialist thing where suddenly nobody's in charge and we don't need any bosses, just everything's flat, no one's telling anybody what to do, no one has any authority. Listen, I'm, I'm right with you. Like leadership by committee, I'm out. Anytime I'm part of, invited to be a part of something and it's clear that there's not a leader other than these eight people who sit around tables and drink coffee and no one really knows who's in charge, nope, because I'm like probably many of you. Like I'm just convinced that for better or for worse, when things happen, there's a leader in charge making things happen. This isn't about authority. This isn't about like we won't know who's going to pick the restaurant. We won't know like, what color to paint the house. This isn't about... This, Paul is not threatening the place of authority or the role of authority. This has everything to do with how you use authority, Listen, if you're a man and you're of the persuasion that God put you in charge, then be in charge. Just like Christ was, the same way Christ was, who loved the church so much he died for it. You ever heard anybody say like, "Eh, I don't think Jesus is the head of the church. (laughs) Couldn't possibly be be, because he died. No, 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 no. He's a head of the church because he died. He died. The New Testament, the early church, they didn't think that authority shouldn't exist. What they did think was the more authority you have, the better servant you better be. This isn't about no one being in charge. It's about how you use it. Listen, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, this is nothing but like free advice. Take it, use it, I think it'll work for you. But as we wrap up, I do want to make this point. If you are a Christ follower, you don't have a choice. And I know that sounds strong, but this is so at the core of the way Jesus defines life in the church. Listen to the way Paul says it in Romans. Again, like, it's like the silver forward. Like, everywhere you go, you see Paul teaching this principle. In Romans 5, if I could get there, l- listen to this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Not those who deserved it, not, not, not because it was his perfect timing, but because it was like when you needed it. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where do we get off thinking we have a choice? Is that the very ethos of how Christ defined his church? And what's brilliant is the way modern science is confirming all this. Did you know that the pleasure centers in your brain, they've watched this on an MRI. just heard Dr. Cloud talking about this this week. The pleasure centers in your brain that light up when you have good food or good sex are the same pleasure centers that light up when you give. The exact same brain chemistry. Which means if you could get all three, you might just disappear. We may never see you again. (laughs) seriously, listen, I am a controller and I understand how everything is defined by you getting your way. Christ's definition of happiness is the exact opposite. Not that you would do this and be miserable, but that when you don't get your way is when you're most alive. And it's just not a spiritual principle. Like, neurology is now confirming this. Which brings us to the red shoes and all their stupidity. I heard something this week that just was like, that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. It was Andy Stanley, and he was talking about Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. With me yet? And what does she do during the whole show? She's looking. What's she trying to find? She's trying to figure out how she can get home. And what does she learn in the end? She's had her way home with her the whole time. It's the ruby red slippers. Right? Right? That's what she needed all along. See, here's, here's what Paul is unpacking for us, is that if you're not careful, you'll spend a lifetime miserable in relationships. And you'll be trying to figure out, like, Lord, what book do I need to read and what conference I need to go to and what sermon I need to hear? How do I have better relationships? And the whole time, you had what you needed. And if you resist this principle, you'll, you'll spend your whole life trying to figure out happiness. And you've had it the whole time in the form of Christ, who said, just just, just die to yourself. So let me ask you this, who this week are you going to ask? What can I do to help? If you would like to engage further with Narrate Church, you can find contact information online, www.narratechurch.org. We would love to hear from you.